If you have your Bibles this morning, we are in Luke chapter 3, continuing uh, this study as we walk through uh, the gospel of Luke and what Luke has for us. Last week we uh, saw what John was doing and, and John the Baptist and what his ministry was, and now we're moving forward uh, into that. I need to pause here just for a moment. Would you agree with me that worship was amazing this morning? Amen. Yes. I like to share these things when I, when I can because, I, because you don't get to see sometimes the behind the scenes. It has been our prayer from the end of last year, beginning of this year for our worship team that the whole purpose for us in worshiping God is that we worship an audience of one. God is only worthy of our worship. And so we do a lot of work, a lot of rehearsal, a lot of things that go into preparing for worship. But at the end of the day, our only desire as a worship team is that we authentically worship God and that you come along with us as we do. And today, I believe you came with us. And I thank you for that. I thank the worship team for their diligence and their working and when we come together to worship, it is not just about the music, the notes, all of that. It's the fact that we come before an almighty, awesome, holy God. And we lift up His name. And we worship Him. And we experience that today. And I, Not that we have it in the past, but I'm just touched today by our worship. Thank you for your authentic participation in that. So let me ask you a question this morning as we move into our text. Have you ever had a turning point in your life? Have you ever had a time where things maybe weren't going right, something was happening, it was a tough time in your life, and someone stepped up to help, and when they did, that kind of changed things for you, or things weren't really that bad, but uh, weren't as good as they could be, and a situation changed, or something happened, uh, and it changed the outcome. And I think all of us in our lives have different times in our lives at different levels, um, turning points, uh, things that change for us, that, that kind of change our lives, that kind of change where we go. Now, all of you know, and we've already had uh, mention of this, I mean, I enjoy sports, I, I really enjoy football, and, and uh, one of the things that I enjoy about the game of football, uh, and as a matter of fact, the NFL has, has even made a, um, a program about this, is that within every single football game, football or basketball or any other sports, there usually seems to be a point in the game where there's a turning point. You ever notice that? There's a point in the game when um, something is happening, a, a player steps up and does a, a, a great play or, or a, a, a football team puts together the perfect drive and it totally changes the game. We would call that a, a game changer. Well, I bring that to your attention, not because of the game tonight, but I bring that to your attention because of the fact that in life, we have game changers. And quite honestly, right here in our text, in Luke chapter number 3, we have the ultimate game changer take place. We have right here in this passage of Scripture, it's a very simple passage of Scripture, and if you don't think about it, you can blow right over it, but right here we see a huge change. We move from really the Old Testament into the beginning of the New Testament. We move from the Old Covenant into the new message of grace. We move totally game changer. 
And so when Luke records this for us, he, he's recording John's ministry, and he records here a message that John gives. And John gives this message, and I want us to really delve into that message today. But before we do, I want to give you some of the background of what's going on. I want to give you some of the narrative that is taking place. And so in verse number 15, as we've already read, we see, as the people were in expectation. Now, I wasn't going to say anything about this word, but after this morning, as we've been going through our worship here uh, and, and stuff like that, I thought it very interesting and poignant. Can I ask you this question? This is a side note, little rabbit trail. Will you go with me on for just a second? Do you come to the house of God expecting? I think it's interesting that the people came out to hear John, and they came with expectation. They came to hear a message from God. They came to somehow, someway meet with God. They came expecting something to happen. How many of us, I think, sometimes this just becomes so routine to us? It's just what we do. As a matter of fact, I was thinking back when I was a kid, and I had this question asked to me as, as a kid, and this was my answer at this time. Why do you go to church every week? Other than the fact that my parents made me go right? It's just something we do. As a matter of fact, have you ever missed a Sunday service and you thought to yourself, man, my whole week's messed up because my routine's out of whack, right? Because I just didn't go. I, I'm used to Sunday morning is, is going to church. But I think so often for us, that's kind of where it stays. Every time we come together as a corporate body, God wants, God does, and God wants to meet with us. Every time we gather together, it's a special time that God has designed. And the Lord impressed that on me just this morning, so that's extra, no charge. Okay, let's move on. All right. So the people were expecting and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. And so John was preaching, and as he was preaching, uh, giving his message, and, and they knew there was a messianic message with this, they all wondered in their heart, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one who comes? And John answers them uh, this way and says these words. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see here that John responds with, as preachers do, a little bit more of a lengthy answer than what's needed. He could have just said no, uh, but he explained no. He explained a little bit more. He, he actually, what he did was says, listen, you've got to understand who I am, and you have to understand who the Messiah is. Don't look at me. I'm not important. I don't have a message that's going to change your life. The best I can do is I can tell you you have a problem. That's all I can do. I can't solve the problem. I'm the messenger. I can just tell you there's a sin issue. I can just tell you there's a problem. You need to repent. You need to live right. But, but I can't give you the cure. But there's one coming. Right? There's one coming. This is the guy I'm setting up. This is who I'm setting up. He's not just a man. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And when he comes with his message, it is going to rock your world. That was my interpretation, by the way. Right? Okay? And so John says, no. The message I give you is dwarfed 
by the message of Christ. And so Luke gives us this little story, and we're going to get uh, this little uh, narrative there, and we're going to get right into that here in a moment. But let's move on to the narrative here and see what happens. And so John continues preaching. He said, no, I'm not the Messiah, but let me still give you my message. And I really love what Luke does here uh, in verse 18 uh, of Luke chapter 3. He goes on and says, so with many other exhortations. So last week I spent a lot of time on the fact that John was just uh, dealing out repent, repent, repent. And he was. But how many of you know that in repentance there is good news? When we repent, good things happen. And so John was encouraging them and exhorting them and building them up. So he was, got to the matter of sin, but also he gave them ex- exhortations. And he preached good news to the people. But John, well, John wasn't going to be pushed around by anybody. I mean, come on, if you eat locusts and honey and wear camel's hair and a leather belt, you know, uh, you can stand up to pretty much, I mean, how much ridicule are you going to get for that outfit, let alone anything else, right? And so John preaching the good news, listen now, John preaching the message of repentance didn't stand down when King Herod, or Herod the Tetrarch, the governor, said, knock it off. I don't want to hear that stuff. And so as we see here in this passage, he says, uh, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, and added this to them all, he locked up John in prison. So John said, Herod, you don't like what I'm doing, let me chat with you for a minute. (laughs) I got a message for you as well from God. He says, you're evil. And by the way, what was happening with Herodias, his brother's wife, was that he was sleeping with her. He was having uh, an affair with her. And John said, that is wrong, and that is sin. And Herod did not like it. How many of you know that when you stand strong on the Word of God and stand up against sin, the world is not going to like it? Not. Well, unfortunately, I'd like to tell you that John's ministry was so wonderful and so big and so great that, that he had all these followers and it just flourished and flourished. But sometimes when you preach the true gospel, at the end of the day, you wind up in jail. And that's where John was. He was in jail for his message. And then Luke takes us then to sum up all of John's ministry with the highlight probably of John's ministry, and that was this. And in verse number 21 and 22, now when the people were baptized, all the people that John had baptized, and when Jesus was baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, this is the voice of the Father, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John's last act is to baptize Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, but can I tell you that Jesus did not need to be baptized? Right? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and Jesus had not sinned. And so the question that you'll have in the back of your mind till we get there is why did Jesus get baptized? And I'll show that in just a moment. But I want to focus more right now the heart of this message on the message of John. Luke records John's message. It's two sentences, basically, is all the message is that that Luke gives to us, but it is so profound and powerful that you need to understand the message. He gives 
in a synopsis here, Christ's entire ministry right here in these couple words that he gives. Again, he begins in verse 16. He says, I baptize you with water. I can only show you that you have a need. I can only show you that you have sin. I can only show you that you need a Messiah. You need a Savior. But I'm telling you right now, and this is how John's setting it up, that the message that the Messiah brings is a game changer. The message of the Messiah will change the course, the direction, everything about your life. It will totally change you. It's a game changer. So what is this message? Well, John very interestingly here hinges his entire message on the word baptize. And so he says, I want you to understand that I baptize with water, but Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, and that's a different type of thing. And when we look at that and we read that, that's kind of difficult for us. There's some terminology that maybe we're not really uh, familiar with, a little foreign to us, because we struggle with the word baptism. If I was to ask you what is baptism, you would link baptism to water, no matter what. Somehow, some ways, either go under water, sprinkle with water, pour with water, that's what baptism is. Well, that is not literally what the word baptism means, okay? And so John is using the definition here of the word baptize to give you a picture of what happens when you receive the message of the Messiah. He's giving you a picture here that you have in your mind. So the word baptize means to immerse, okay? In our language today, it's to dunk, to put under, to completely engulf, to, to dunk your friend underwater in the pool when you're swimming. That's what it is, okay? So if you ever want to be real spiritual while you're swimming, tell them you're practicing baptism and dunk them under, right? Put them down, all right? Hold them down till they say Jesus and bring them back up. No, I'm kidding, but practice so that's what the word literally means. So get this picture of immersion. The word was really literally used in the marketplace more than anywhere else. It was in the marketplace used for those that dyed shirts. And when they would baptize, they would baptize the material into the ink, to the, the dye. That's what they used the word for. It's, it wasn't really even a spiritual word, but it's linked to this. So John wants you to understand this word immerse. So when he says, they've just witnessed him baptizing with water, putting them under the water, bringing them back up. I baptize with water, I immerse you with water, but the Messiah's message, when he comes, what he will do is he will immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Totally different. He will immerse you. So when we look at these, this word baptize, we can put the word immerse in there. So what is that? mean for us in salvation because this is where it gets confusing because we cannot link salvation to water baptism water baptism doesn't do anything but get you wet all right there's significance to it but it doesn't save you it's not a, a cleansing process according to the word of god but there is a baptism that does save and that's what john is teaching here but it's not a baptism of water are you following me i'm trying to because the play on the word baptism gets really confusing here. Salvation is this. Salvation is when we repent of our sin, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and accept what Christ has done and ask Him to save, save us. That's salvation. 
Okay? That's our end of salvation. That's what happens for us when we hear that we need a Savior, that we need to repent of our sins, and we come before God in the best way we know how, through prayer. We say, God, please forgive me of the sin that I have. I completely trust you in your death, burial, and resurrection. Save my soul. That's what happens that we see. What happens on God's side is exactly what John has given us here. And this is so very important. I want to give you a glimpse of what happens in your life when you are saved on God's side of the equation. And what happens is this. He says you are baptized. So what John is explaining here is what absolutely happens at the point of conversion. The very second we are saved, we are immersed. There's really two things that we're immersed in. John gives it all in one thing. He says you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, puts it all together. But there's really two things that come out of this. That is, number one, you are immersed into the body of Christ. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 12. Every single one of us who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a part of the body of Christ. We are members of Christ. We are now in the family of God, if you will. We are immersed into that. The second thing that happens at the point of salvation is that we are immersed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit indwells us, so we're, we're, the Holy Spirit comes in us, as we know, but then the Holy Spirit comes on us, as we know, and so we are filled and we are empowered at the point of salvation. That's the immersion. He comes in, you go in. It, it is the, the uh, completely immersing of the Holy Spirit. So listen, there's some teachings that are out there that say that this, these things are divided. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I'm telling you that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are placed in the body of Christ. You are indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. You have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to need. And you are empowered to do what God has called you to do. That is what happens when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is, listen now, that's the game changer. Because remember, John preached a message of repentance, and what he said is, you need to, to repent, and you need to try to do the best you can. But how many of you know in the flesh, when you repent and you do the best you can, you fail really quickly? You don't have victory. You continually go in the cycle, in the cycle, in the cycle. And even after we're saved, we struggle with that flesh, because we're still in this body of flesh. But what happens when we are saved is the justification that takes place is when we are immersed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and we are filled completely with the Holy Spirit. We are washed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God looks at us through that shed blood and says, you've never sinned. You say, yes, I have. No, it's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's gone. It's wiped away. I never see it again. You're justified. You're treated, you have heaven as your home because you are treated as if you have never sinned. Now as we walk in our sanctification, we understand that we make wrong choices, but even because we are immersed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are filled and the power of the Holy Spirit is upon us, we now just simply have to ask forgiveness and God is faithful and just to wipe that off, to wash it away, to take away that sin for us. We need not to be saved again. No longer does the brokenness, sinfulness, and death of this world have to control us because we have victory. Would you hear me right now? The old system said you got to keep doing, keep doing, keep working, keep doing. As long as you keep up with it, it's going to be okay. 
the new system, the game changer, the message of the Messiah. Trust in me and you are victorious. That's it. Trust in me and you will have heaven. Trust in me and you'll have the Holy Spirit empowering you to do what you're supposed to do. Trust in me and you will walk with me. Trust in me. That's the message that of the Messiah. That's exactly what Jesus is going to show us all the way through his ministry. But now we've got to stop here for a moment. That's the game-changing, fantastic news. Can I tell you something? That when you move from the Old Testament law and you move to the New Testament grace is right where we are, we're just we're crossing the line today. Can I tell you something that's very important? Grace does not wipe out the law in the sense that we are totally free and can do whatever we want. Sin or grace wipes out the law and that the law cannot condemn us, but yet grace always amps up the requirement. Are you with me? Law dealt with what you did. Grace deals with who you are. You see. We're moving to another level here. And so this is why this becomes so very, very important. Because John now says, I've got to tell you about another baptism. This one you're not going to like. But this one is very important. You see, in our culture today, we take the statement that is given, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and we clump them together as if they're one thing. They're not. They're two separate baptisms. What are they? One is for the believer, and one is for the lost. You have to understand that what John is laying out here for us is that those of us who will receive the message of the Messiah, will accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is baptized into the body of Christ, is fully immersed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. They are set on the path to heaven. They are saved. Heaven is their home. But the person who will not accept the message of the Messiah still receives a baptism. It's called a baptism of fire. Now listen, I want you to understand this because this little phrase, and of fire, has caused some grave misconceptions in the Christian world, especially in the Western culture we live in today. You see, in our Christian culture, we believe that, uh, and we hear often, and when we talk about the word fire in Christian circles today, in the Western culture, it's used most of the time wrong. We use the word fire to, equi- to be equivalent of power. And that's how we use it in our Western culture. We use it to, to mean power. I want, I want to be fired up. I want to be all excited. I want, that, that's what I want to have. And that's Western terminology. Can I tell you the Bible is not a Western book? <laughs> so therefore the definition of fire is not the same in Scripture as it is in our Western talk today, and is even finding its way in Christendom today. Will you listen to me very carefully? The word fire in the Scriptures almost always, you ready? Almost always refers to judgment. 
Fire is equivalent to judgment in the Word of God. It almost always refers to that wherever you find it. If it's not that, usually it's a purification that it's talking about. This is exactly how it is to be used here. When John gave the message, he gave the message that says that you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire, and he defines what that fire is. Are you ready? Verse 17. I don't know where I am on my notes on there. Thanks, man. All right, good. Verse 17. Baptized with fire. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He gives the definition of what this word fire means, and that is this. Those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are the wheat. Those who do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and by the way, can look like a Christian in the process because the wheat and the chaff look exactly the same until you throw them in the air. And the wheat falls and the chaff floats. That's what he's talking about with a winnowing fork. If you can see the picture of the fork digging in, throwing up, the chaff floats away, uh, floats away the wheat falls to the ground. It says you can look the game, you can play the game, you can do whatever you want to do, but listen, if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when it's all said and done and we leave this world, you will be baptized with fire of hell for all of eternity. Oh, Pastor, you were doing so good. Right? That's the consequence. That's the consequence for those of us that don't receive this message. Unfortunately, that is what the Scriptures tell us. But can I give you a little side note on this word fire? Can I encourage you and challenge you this way? The word fire comes a lot in our Western culture in worship music. And if it's to align, if our worship music is to align with Scripture... We've got to be very careful here. Because when we sing, God, come as a consuming fire, or God, uh, move as a fire, if we're taking what the Bible says, we're asking God to burn us up. It's judgment. We have to understand what the Scriptures say. So I personally, this is, this is my public confession you take it you leave it whatever you want i just have a big problem with these songs that are coming out in our worship services going god fire fire fall on me fire come fire come because what they're calling for is the judgment of god that's what the scripture says when the fire comes is the judgment of god and unfortunately those who do not accept jesus as their lord and savior will find this judgment and so luke gives us this message and it seems like we should stop with this message, but the message also continues on that Luke gives us in the baptism of Jesus because the baptism of Jesus is the picture of the message of Jesus. And so Jesus coming to be baptized by John, he did not come in order for him to be, uh, because he repented of any sin or he, or he even accepted salvation. Jesus never had to be saved. He was the Savior. He came as a picture of us. He came so that he was obedient to the Father. He came as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. And he came to change baptism from a baptism of repentance to a baptism of 
receiving or of salvation. It's not the baptism that saves us, but because we are saved, we show what happens to us spiritually when we are baptized. So what he says here is that when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, Paul talks about this, that the old man has passed away, our old self has passed away, behold the new has come and we are to walk in newness of life because the game changer took place. The change took place in our lives. Baptism is a picture of that. And when we are baptized today, we are following an obedience of Jesus Christ, that picture. We are showing the message. We are showing the change. We are showing the turning point. We are giving a symbol of what happens when we move from the Old Testament covenant to the New Covenant. So here's the key. And you know this today. Two things. Number one, have you received the message of the Messiah? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Today can be your turning point. Today can be when the game changes for you. Today you can call out to the Lord and repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, and have God baptize you into the family. And the Holy Spirit to indwell you, empower you, so you can live in victory. That's the precious blood we sang about today. That washes us. But in a room like this, there's certainly some who said, I haven't received that message. I need that message. I'm not sure. Can I tell you something an evangelist told me? It actually totally changed my, life, my, my wife's life. She was saved just because of this statement. If you're 99% sure you're on your way to heaven, you're 100% lost. There's no hope so's with God. The message is never a hope so. It's a no so. If you don't know him, you will be baptized with fire, but there's a way of escape. Christian, you have the message. You have the message. Can you be the modern day John the Baptist today, taking the true message of salvation to others? Let me just leave you with this statement. The best way I know how, the only way that I know how, this is the truth. And uh, Dave said it so well, and uh, of course he's, he's quoting Scripture, so Jesus said it so well, but anyways. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one, no one, no exceptions comes to the Father except through me. Would you accept Jesus He's the game changer. He's the game changer. And Christian, I've set you up perfectly tonight if you have a Green Bay football game party tonight. When there's a shift and Green Bay takes over San Francisco, you can cheer. But tell them Jesus is the ultimate game changer. Will you stand with me in God's house?
Father, you know my heart and you know the struggles I've had with this message today. And God, I don't know if I even conveyed it well enough, but Holy Spirit, you can take what I've given and you can put it on the people's heart. And so I give it to you. Father, if there's one person here today that would say, I don't know for sure if I'm saved, that they would get with someone in this church, Lord, anyone in this church, me, an elder, a friend, someone they came with that can share with them how they can be saved. Father, thank you for changing the game. Thank you for not leaving us under the law, but coming and dying and freeing us so that we can have salvation and we can live victorious lives. Now, Lord, use us and help us to take this message to a lost and dying world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.